Welcome to the Elephant Dialogues. My name is Bryson Alley. This episode's a little different. I'll have a couple of these shorter kind of bonus episodes throughout the season where I don't have a guest, but I get a little more into some specific tools for improving our conversations. So for this week, I want you to try and remember a moment when you've heard a politician say, hmm, I didn't know that. I'll give you like 30 seconds while we play the intro reel, and then we'll talk about why that's such a hard thing to say and how we can get better at saying it. Here we go. America has developed a culture of contempt, a habit of seeing people who disagree with us, not merely as incorrect or misguided, but as worthless. We cannot solve the challenges of our time unless we solve them together. It was an opportunity to practice empathy. There's a huge empathy deficit in our culture. We don't need to disagree less. We need to disagree better. Toward what our President Lincoln called the better angels of our nature. So I talk a lot about the parable of the elephant and the blind men, the one that gave this podcast its name. If you're unfamiliar with the parable, go listen to the intro episode. I explain it a little better there. But this podcast is based on the idea that we are partially blind and need each other to fill in the gaps. But we really haven't been taught how to act when somebody does help us see a little more clearly. If someone presents a fact that we didn't know previously, how do we respond? I spent a while looking for examples of someone in a political discussion accepting new information, and I gotta tell you, I couldn't find many examples. We really don't know how to do it. But that makes it really hard to have a conversation. We've kind of been taught since kindergarten that smart people know all the answers, so we've learned to avoid looking like we didn't know something. We've actually become pretty good at it, and this is especially true of politicians. This is one of my personal weaknesses I'm working on. I really enjoy debating, and I get a rush from proving that I'm right or stumping someone with my logic. But the weird thing is, that rarely convinces anyone to change their position. It doesn't work. Dale Carnegie, in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, coined this phrase, A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. But here's the thing, here's the trick. If someone sees that you're willing to learn and to accept their information— they will be much more likely to meet you in the middle and reshape their own understanding. If you can learn how to accept new information, the quality of your conversations will skyrocket. People's respect for you will grow, and our understanding of truth will increase. So first, let's look at some pitfalls. How do we tend to react to new information? Ironically, we tend to double down on our own position, or look for loopholes in their logic, or pivot the conversation to something else entirely. One of the most common ways we do this is called whataboutism. This is when someone makes a good point and we don't know how to respond, so we counter with something like, well, what about such and such, or what about so and so? Basically, whataboutism is a distraction technique meant to save ourselves from answering the question directly. It's really easy to find examples of this in our current political discourse, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, this is a universal thing. Here's one example I found of Donald Trump. This is an interview with Bill O'Reilly on Fox News. President Trump was talking about how he respects Putin, and O'Reilly countered with the fact that Putin is a murderer. Here's how President Trump used whataboutism in his response. Will I get along with him? I have no idea. He's a killer, though. Putin's a killer. A lot of killers. You got a lot of killers. Why, you think our country's so innocent? In order to avoid discussing the fact directly, the president deflected and excused the behavior because, according to him, a lot of people do it. If you find yourself resorting to whataboutism, take a step back and face the question or new information directly, even or especially if it means admitting you were wrong. 
Listen to how Pete Buttigieg, a 2020 presidential candidate, answered a particularly tough question at the first debate. Your community of South Bend, Indiana, has recently been in uproar over an officer-involved shooting. The police force in South Bend is now 6% black in a city that is 26% black. Why has that not improved over your two terms as mayor? Because I couldn't get it done. My community is in anguish right now because of an officer-involved shooting, a black man, Eric Logan, killed by a white officer. I was struck by Mayor Pete's answer because he doesn't deflect or lead with excuses. He didn't use whataboutism to talk about all the good things he did accomplish while he was mayor or how other cities are also struggling with similar issues. He simply said, because I couldn't get it done, and then went on to describe the situation as he saw it. That's a much better technique than leading with excuses or deflections. Now, what if you're in the middle of a conversation and someone brings up a fact that you were previously unaware of? We've decided that resorting to whataboutism is the wrong way to respond, but how do you admit that you didn't know something? That's embarrassing, right? No one wants to admit that. But the solution actually comes far before that new fact is introduced, when you first begin the conversation. If you start the conversation as a debate or as a contest of intelligence, admitting to new information becomes almost impossible. But if the conversation is a collaboration, if you're working together to understand the bigger picture, then finding new information is a win for both sides. So make sure you're on the same side. Even if you disagree, you can establish mutual goals at the beginning of the conversation, then you're working together, and it's not a contest with winners and losers. Here's an example. If you're talking about immigration with your father-in-law, before you get too far into the conversation, try to establish mutual purpose. Maybe that mutual purpose is establishing a secure border while still respecting human dignity. Then, when he brings up a fact that challenges your thinking, you can accept that fact without admitting defeat because your goals are the same. My wife and I were doing a puzzle recently, and when one of us found a missing piece, the other was just as excited because we were working towards the same goal. So here's a concrete tip. Talk about puzzles when you start a conversation. Say something like, you know, this is kind of a tricky puzzle of an issue, but I'd love to talk about it with you because I think we can fill in some missing pieces for each other. Then bringing new information to the table is a win for both parties, and the puzzle becomes a little clearer. You can even say, huh, I didn't know that. That's one of those puzzle pieces I was talking about earlier. I'm telling you, these tricks don't have to be subtle. Talk about puzzles whenever things get sticky. Another good technique is asking for follow-up information or promising to research something later. This one is nice because it works even if you don't believe the new information they just provided. You don't have to roll your eyes or scoff at their stupidity. You can say, oh, I've never heard that before. Would you mind sending me more information about that later? This does a couple of good things. First, it removes it from the discussion, kind of tabling it for later. The conversation can move on without getting caught up on fact-checking. It also provides them an opportunity later to go look up their own information. If you really think they're wrong about something, they may just learn for themselves that they were mistaken. That'll be far more convincing to them than if you had simply told them how wrong they were in the heat of the moment. Here's an example of that. This is Pete Buttigieg again, and I apologize for using the same politician twice. I really didn't mean to. These were just the examples I was able to think of. Whether or not you agree with Pete's policies, he's skilled at good conversation. So in this clip, he's speaking at a town hall meeting, and a veteran is telling him about certain deficiencies in the local VA program. Pete has a perfect response to this new information. I wasn't aware of this feature of the ramp process that you were talking about, and I'm going to go to school on that because that's uh, extremely concerning. 
Would you be able uh, to Steven still with an earshot? I would love if one of my team members could follow up with you just to get sure. a little more about That's why the details Donald, there. They called me and told me you were going to be here. So I'd here. love your help getting more educated on, on some of what the experience has been here. See what he did there? He admitted that he was unaware of the information and promised to look it up afterwards. And because he had been listening and demonstrating that he was on the same team, the admission wasn't a defeat. It was a powerful moment of humility and respect and growth. That right there makes for some good conversation. Up till now, this has been about how to respond to new information. I want to talk a little bit about how to offer new information to others in a way that encourages conversation and isn't threatening to them. Remember, we want to remind them that we're on the same team, not scare them into a fight-or-flight response. So understanding how to frame new information is vital. As a general rule, framing new information as a question is a great start. It allows them to respond and offer their interpretation instead of just flinging facts at them, hoping they'll change their mind. For example, you can state a relevant piece of information like this. The way I understand it, insert fact here, and then follow up with, is there something I'm missing there? That's a very non-aggressive way to provide new information because it shows you still respect their opinion and that you're still listening to them. There is a wrong way to ask questions, though. Some questions carry with them inherent accusations, and you're not going to fool anyone by sneaking those in. I want to look at a conversation between Ben Shapiro and Andrew Neal on the BBC. Because this was a news interview, most of Mr. Neal's points were framed as questions. I think he was mostly trying to act as devil's advocate and provide questions for Ben to address, but the conversation quickly fell apart. Here are a few of those questions. I'm interested that you think there's a thought movement inside the Republican Party. I mean, haven't the conservatives uh, run out of ideas in America? All the new policies, the Medicare for all, $15 minimum wage, the Green New Deal, they're all coming from the left. Some of the ideas that are popular in your side of politics uh, would seem to take us back to the dark ages. But haven't you all just really coarsened public discourse in America and exacerbated its divisions. You suggest that America's largest struggle at the moment is, quote, the struggle for our national soul. But aren't you part of the problem with the way you go about your discourse, not the solution? Well, okay, a couple of things. One, I'm not sure, I mean, frankly, I don't know whether you're, are you an objective journalist or are you an opinion journalist? I'm a journalist that asks questions. Needless to say, Ben took offense at most of these questions and eventually walked out of the interview. So here's a better way. Frame your questions in a way that complements the other person, not in a way that insults them with inherent accusations. So instead of asking, how can you support Mr. So-and-so when he's so racist, put it this way. I know that you're a charitable person. Uh, can you help me understand how you see Mr. So-and-so? Now, if all else fails, apologies are powerful things. Don't be afraid to use them. Improving our conversations might take time and will almost certainly require some trial and error. If you've made an error, apologize. Trust me, this is something I've had to learn how to do <laughs> for myself. I have a lot of discussions on Facebook. I'm not proud of all of them. I'm still learning how to do this myself. But just recently, I had to go back and follow up on a discussion because I really felt bad about how I handled it. They kind of just responded with a wow emoji. <laughs> so... I think it surprised them, and I think it surprises people when we do apologize, but I think it's a powerful tool for restoring common respect. If you realize you've made an error during the conversation, take a deep breath and say, I'm sorry, I think I've been more focused on proving myself right than in understanding the issue. Can we back up a few steps and try again? 
If you don't realize what went wrong until later, an apologetic text goes a long way to smoothing things over. Point out what you did wrong, tell them you're going to research some of the things they brought up, and share your hopes that next time the conversation can be more productive. They'll immediately respect you more, and odds are they might even acknowledge their own part in the problem. One final tip. If receiving new information seems impossible, you can practice without risking your relationships. Find a book that might challenge your viewpoint. Then as you read through it, anytime there's a bit of information that you were previously unaware of, practice what you would say if that had come up in conversation. Don't deflect or find reasons to dismiss it. Just practice accepting it into the conversation and moving on. I've been doing this myself with a book called The Faith of Donald Trump, because honestly, I don't see much in President Trump that convinces me he is a religious or spiritual man, but I have learned things in the book that I didn't know before. Remember, we're talking about puzzles here, and if someone finds a missing piece, we've got to learn how to celebrate that, not recoil from it. And as we do, our conversations will improve. Thanks for listening. If you've got any tips you want to share, or if any of these techniques have worked for you, let us know. Record a message and send it to us at elephantdialogues at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be back with a regular co-host episode as we continue our experiment in better conversations.